Well, I want to thank everybody that came out on Thursday to the county fair and got me wet. That was not fun, to be honest with you. Well, the first five or six times I went down was fun, but an hour in a dunk tank, you know, 41 times of going under and having water shoved up your nose and in your ears. It was for a good cause, right? It was for a great cause to support Jessica Niles and their family and to help cover their expenses and, and that. And uh, at the end of the day, I was exhausted. I was, I was tired of climbing back up and sitting on that seat and then doing it again and again and again. And I, and I, I you know, I've been thinking, I've, I'm getting old. <laughs> you know, I am. And some say that, that, that you know, that you're old, uh, that you think you're old when you're a grandpa, right? Um, I think... I think you're old when you realize that you're married to a grandmother. Now, whether I'm going to tell that at second service when my wife is here or not, I'm not sure. Uh, needless to say, in, in about eight months, I'm going to be a grandpa. So just uh, to, to let you know that. Um, we are very excited. They weren't prepared for this at all. This was totally out of left field, not expecting it. Had, of course, their own you know, set of plans of how life was going to be, and now they're, they're working on the new plan. And uh, so we're, we're praying for them as they work through all of that and uh, get ready for this new little one. Uh, Cassandra is sicker than she's ever been in her life. Um, Sarah had morning sickness like crazy, and uh, she passed that along to her daughter. So um, be praying for her. Be praying for them. Uh, so don't tell my wife I told you because she wanted to be here when I told you. And, of course, she's not at first service. She'll be here second service, so we're okay. Right. Well, last week we talked about the tabernacle and how the tabernacle uh, that God gave the Israelites in the Old Testament was a shadow or a copy of the real thing. And, and I don't know if you've thought about that this week or, or wondered what, what that looks like, but, but what the real true tabernacle temple in heaven looks like. It's, it's, a, it's a physical place. It, it's, it's real. Or, or God wouldn't have said that this is a shadow or a copy and, and that you should make, you need to build this exactly like I have told you to build this. And, and of course, we did a little poll last week of how many people remembered Ruth McMillan's Sunday school class. And if you grew up in this church and you went to her Sunday school class and you went through that, you, you were taught the tabernacle and you were taught the symbolism. And, and I think it's important for us to know that. It's like a foundation of knowledge that then begins to inform every other aspect of life as we continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and, and in our knowledge of, of God and how He works in the world. So there's great symbolism in the tabernacle, the, the tent of God's presence, the place where God actually dwelled in the midst of the Israelites. One more step closer to what He was going to do later when Jesus came. There was the table, there was the blood, there was the bread. We celebrate that table today. Jesus, hundreds and hundreds of years later, gave us this. The communion table, the bread representing His broken body, and the cup representing the blood that He shed for us. A, re, a, a reestablishing or um, a fulfillment of the previous covenant that He had given Israel. And we celebrate it today. And aren't you glad that we don't have to sacrifice goats and sheep? 
Aren't you glad that, that there was one sacrifice for all? Just as sin entered the world by one man, the Bible says, so sin was dealt with by one man, and that was Jesus Christ. God incarnate. Emmanuel. God with us. Now, the events of Isaiah, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6 today, so if you would please turn there in your Bibles. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, grab a Bible from underneath the seat in front of you or ask somebody behind you to grab one for you. It's Isaiah chapter 6, and I, I didn't look up the, the page number of Isaiah, so I can't help you with that. Um, if you're not familiar with your Bible, you can just there's a table of contents in the front, and you can find Isaiah and see which, which page that's on. Um, Isaiah chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. Now, the events of Isaiah 1 through 39 occurred during uh, Isaiah's ministry, uh, theologians believe. Uh, chapters 40 through 60 were probably written near the end of Isaiah's life, which was around 681 B.C. Okay, God's purpose in using Isaiah was to call the nation of Judah back to himself. The nation by this time had split into two and he is wanting to call the nation of Judah back to himself and to tell of God's salvation through the Messiah, Jesus. There's sort of this bad news, really, really good news in the book of Isaiah. And we're, we're going to brush stroke the really, really good news and, and we're going to just focus on these first 13 verses of Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. Now, the book of Isaiah also contains both prose and poetry. And it uses personification. It, it attributes personal qualities to divine beings or inanimate objects. So as you read the book of Isaiah, you need to know those things. That it helps you to read it better and more intelligently. And, and also there are many of the prophecies in the book of Isaiah that contain predictions that are foretelling of future events. In fact... There are things in the book of Isaiah, and this is how incredibly powerful God is and how wonderful it is the way He works in our world. There are things that, that Isaiah foretells that are soon to occur events, like within the next 50 years, and then they also foretell something that's going to happen into the future. A distant future event at the same time. So let's, let's begin in Isaiah chapter 6, starting by reading verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I... Isaiah saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So there is some amazing worship going on here by some pretty incredible beings as described here. Um, and this is a vision that Isaiah is having. I don't know if God transported him to a place or if, if God is how God is giving him this vision. We are, we are not told this, but Isaiah has a vision of God in, in verses 1 through 4. So what does he see? Where is the Lord seated? You can answer that. On a throne. He sees the Lord seated on a throne. And, and where is this throne? In the temple. In the temple of heaven. The temple. His robe fills it, whatever that looks like. And there were these seraphs, these flying things, created beings with six wings. And, 
And I looked at all kinds of artist you know, depictions of what they might look like, and, and who knows what they looked like. I'm sure they were amazing. But there were these seraphs there, and, and they were worshiping the Lord on the throne. And it's interesting that they were covering their faces and they were covering their feet. And they're flying and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Almighty, the whole earth is full of His glory. It's loud worship. The, the posts are shaking. The, the room is filling with smoke. Um, they're, they're worshiping with reverence. They're worshiping in service. And they're praising the Lord all right there. Um, it's amazing to me. Now, this is the beginning of Isaiah's vision. And I wonder, when do we have visions of the Lord? When have you seen God work? You know, Julie talked a little bit about seeing the Lord work in the lives of people. When, when have we seen the Lord? When have we been in His presence? What does that look like for you and for me? When, when we want to... We talked about last week how the, 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 uh, the curtain... In, in the temple was torn from top to bottom, freeing up accessibility to, to God, to, to Jesus, for all people. And, and we can come into His presence, we can come before Him with confidence, the writer of Hebrews says. What does that look like for you and for me? What, tomorrow, if you wanted to come into the presence of the Lord, what would you do? What, what would we do? Well, I have a couple of ideas um, in, in ways that we see Him and that we can come into His presence. I think one of the ways is, is through nature, through His creation. He created everything. And when we see an amazing sunset, instead of thinking, oh, wow, that's really cool. Look how the sun reflects through the atmosphere and all of the dirt and dust that's in it, right? We can say, you know what? I know who put that there. I know who made that. God, thank you for that. When, when you're in the mountains or when you're out in your pasture on a horse or, or when you're sitting in, a, in your tractor or, or when you're sitting at your desk, even at work, and you, you look outside if you have a window in your office and, and you can see things that God has created. We can come into His presence in those times. I think through experience, we experience the presence of God. And this is a little more... Ethereal. It's a little more, you know, um, we have to be a little more careful with this, but um, we experience Him. He, we get the sense that He is with us. You, you, you could be sitting here on a Sunday morning and, and worshiping, and for whatever reason, it just really seems you get the sense that the Holy Spirit has just grabbed a hold of you, and you are in the presence of the Lord, and He is speaking into your life. That's another way in which we can have a vision of God. God's Word, the Bible, is probably what I say the place to go to learn truth about Him. It is the place. It's the only place. And we can trust it. And we can know that as we read its pages, as we meditate on it, as we think upon it, God uses that in your hearts and in mine. He convicts us of things. He encourages us in ways. He he, he speaks truth into our life and, and, and we, we have that, that sense of peace that passes all understanding. I don't get it. I don't know where it came, comes from. Well, uh, but we do know where it comes from, right? It comes from a holy God 
whose presence is right there in our life. And then finally, I just want to mention that I think prayer is another way in which we can come before the Lord and, and we can have a vision from Him. I would love to hear from the Lord audibly. I have tried. I've asked Him for it. I've, I've said, Lord, I've been in the mountains and, and I've gone to the mountains with one goal in mind, to hear, to audibly hear. But He hasn't spoken to me that way yet. I, I, don't, I would probably be shaking in my, in my boots if He did. But, but, you know, sometimes you have those questions where you, you just want to know, Lord, should I do this or should I do that? Or, or what decisions should I make here? And please, please make it, make it easy on me. Tell me what I should do, right? I mean, you've probably been there before. I've been there before. Lord, what do you want me to do? And the way I want you to tell me that is to audibly whisper it into my ear. And, and he just hasn't yet. But that doesn't mean he hasn't spoken to me. Because he certainly has. Nature experienced his word and through prayer we see him. And when we do, when we get true glimpses of God, okay? When, when you're sitting here on a Sunday morning and you're singing and, and, and you're singing about the holiness of God and, and you have this flash of what God's holiness really is like, what does that do to you? What does that do to me? What, what should it do to us? You see, when Isaiah realizes that he's in the presence of God, he's not in such great shape, is he? Because he's human, right? He's, he's sinful, and, and he is definitely not God himself. And, and so in verse 5, we see Isaiah's response when he realizes where he is. He says, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Those two words are important this morning. We're going we're gonna to see at the very end of the message this morning. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now that's all of us, isn't it? Unclean lips, unclean minds, unclean hearts. He says, my eyes have seen the Lord. James says, in James chapter 3, verse 9 and 10, it's up here on the screen, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be, James says. But it's true, isn't it? And it was true for Isaiah. Isaiah knew that his heart was not pure. Isaiah knew that, that he had sin in his life. And, and, and he just knows that it's not going to be good for him as he comes into the presence of God. And then in Romans 3, verse 23, it says, of course, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. None. None are good, Paul says. Not one. So Isaiah enters this moment of confession in verse 5. And when we realize that our sin in relation, what our sin is like and the gap that is there between our perfection and God's perfection and holiness, what, what should happen to us? What happens to us? We're humbled. We, we realize that It's not very good. I have evil thoughts and selfish thoughts and I'm prideful and I'm arrogant and the words I say sometimes hurt people. But when we realize how our sin compares to God, you know, I think sometimes we say, well, I'm a sinner, but I'm not as bad as so-and-so. When we come into the presence of a holy God, 
all of those degrees of sin go away, don't they? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It separates us. The real, this realization for Isaiah doesn't produce good feelings for Isaiah, but terror. He says, I am ruined. Now, we have seen others in Scripture come into the presence of God ill-prepared and die. But before we get the idea that you can't be in the presence of God and actually live, I think we need to look at some other examples and some other things in the Old Testament where people actually do. Um, when, when God was covering Mount Sinai, the people were afraid. But what happened? Moses went up onto the mountain and he met God. There, there were times when Moses met with God, you remember this, and he would come back to the people and his face would be glowing. He would be shining, having been in the presence of God. So to some degree, it is possible. I'm sure not the full glory. I don't know how much God allows men to see. Paul, on the road to Damascus, was confronted with God, Jesus. Now, he ended up blind, but that was God's intent. That was God's intent in moving in his life. So all of these who have been face to face with the Lord are in a state of humility and confession and repentance when they see Him because they realize how perfect and holy He is. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to re- be reminded of how perfect and holy our God is. So Isaiah confesses. He's a sinful man among a sinful people. He doesn't compare himself with others or justify himself. And that's what our response should be. When we are faced with our sinfulness, our response should be one of repentance and confession. This morning and every other morning as we begin our day, as we end our day, as we go through our day, Lord, you are holy, I am not. Forgive me. So, I would like to, as one of the sort of action points this morning, I would like to encourage you to take time this week to be in the presence of God. Maybe you have a a regular routine where you do that already, and that's great. Maybe you don't. Sit out on the deck, drink a cup of coffee, and just sit there with the intent purpose of God speaking to you, of, of you hearing Him in some way, being in His presence. Being in His presence. Now, that's really really hard for me. I sat on the deck yesterday morning and I think I lasted 20 minutes. And then I had to do something. So it's not going to happen right away. Believe me, you're going to be distracted and and Satan's going to want you not to do that. Don't be... don't, Don't let it go. Come before him with humility and confession. Now, God doesn't strike Isaiah dead, nor does he condemn him. In fact, God's response to his his confession was to cleanse him. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So there's this cleansing that occurs. And I wonder why the seraph, at first, why the seraph touched his mouth. Why not his head or his heart or his feet? You know, why Why his head? Well, I think in a few verses we're going to see possibly why, but um, Isaiah's guilt is atoned for. God, God covers it over. 
So upon Isaiah's confession, he is cleansed. And, and un, unlike the rest of the nation of Judah, Isaiah admits his sin. They're still living their lives arrogantly and, and they continue to do their own thing. In Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, you might write this uh, reference in your Bible so you can go to it later. Second Chronicles seven thirteen and 14. God says this to Solomon. Did I give you that one? Okay. God says this to Solomon. Who, who, by the way, when this happens, and this is why I give you this, have just finished building the temple. And God is in the process of consecrating the temple for him to, to, to reside in. Okay, And God says this to Solomon. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Okay, now I think what God is saying here is in times when I must discipline the people, when I need to get their attention, and these are some of the things that I'm going to do, okay? He continues in verse 14, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There's this confession, there's this admission, this repentance, and then there's cleansing and forgiveness and healing. And, and we experience that. The nation of Judah is not in a humble state. And they're going to be disciplined for it. Uh, if we were to read on in in Isaiah, we're, we're going to see that. And, well, let's look in verse 8 here. God gives a hint of what's going to happen. It says, then, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? So the Lord is looking for someone to go on a mission for him, and he's obviously picked Isaiah to do that. He's saying, Isaiah, will you go for me? Will you go for me? And this is what Jesus says to all of us, to the disciples and to all of us in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, make disciples. And he's saying that to all of us here this morning. Will you go? Who shall I send? Will it be you? And then, in verses 8 through 13, I'm calling this, this is when Isaiah was commissioned. The Lord commissions us with his message. Isaiah's response was what? Here am I. Here I am, Lord. Send me. I will go for you. Julie said, Here I am, Lord. Send me. And he did, and she went. Sam and Susan said, Here we are, Lord. Send us. For a year they wondered if this is what they should do. And they prayed, and we prayed with them. And they made the decision, and they said, Yes, Lord, we will go. So the Lord is looking for someone to send, and He's looking, I believe, to send all of us. And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. Just before World War I, a young man arrived in Cairo, Egypt, and he was 25 years old, a graduate of Yale University and Princeton Seminary. He was tall, handsome, athletic, intelligent, single, and very rich. His name was William Borden. If you recognize the Borden name, they make 
lots of chocolate and sweet things these days. And he was the heir to one of America's great fortunes, but he had turned his back on all the privilege and all the luxury and all the money that could have been his and was on his way to China as a missionary. But shortly after arriving in Cairo, he became critically ill with cerebral meningitis in a matter of days. He was dead. Many students back in America asked, was it worth it? Was it worth his life? Later, his biographer wrote that Borden had said this, no reserve, no retreat, no regret. Maybe you should write that in your notes. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. That's how I want to live my life. That's what I want to do when God calls me. I want to say, yes, here I am, Lord. Send me. No reserve, no retreat, no regret. There are so many more who we could hold up as examples who have, who have lived this way. Now, you don't have to go to another country to live this way. You can live right here in Goshen County and live this way. I wonder if the Lord is speaking to you here this morning and He's looking for men and women to take His message, the good news of the gospel, to the public schools of Goshen County. Maybe He's saying to you this morning, who shall I send who shall I send to the hospitals and the, the care places? Who, who shall I send to, to the lumber yards? And, and who, who shall I send to the farmers markets? And who should I send to the colleges, to, to EWC and LCCC and the University of Wyoming? Who shall I send? And the question is, will you say, here I am, Lord, send me. I wonder if the Lord isn't saying here this morning, who shall I send into the homes where there are young children that are growing up and they're, they're being taught by their parents, their, their fathers and their mothers and their grandparents? Who shall I send into those homes that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ and they might grow up one day to be faithful, committed followers of Jesus Christ? Whom shall I send? And I wonder if there aren't some parents and some grandparents in this room here this morning who would say, Here I am, Lord. Send me. We, we, we have people, senior saints we call them here. We have people that, that eat. I don't know if it's every day. I think it's like once a week here in Lingle where everybody gathers together. There are people in those places who don't know Jesus Christ. God is saying to you, if you're of that age here this morning, who shall I send? Who will go for me? The question is, will you say, here I am, Lord. Send me. I will go. I will. We need to step out of our self-absorbed, busy lives, which, which we all have. I, I know most of us in this room are extremely busy people. But God can use busy people too. And busy people rub shoulders with lots of people in the course of a day. Won't we answer send me, Lord. Now, verse 9. Isaiah's initial message that he's supposed to give to everyone is this. Go and tell all the people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their eyes dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's God's message to the people of Judah right now. Not 
a pretty message. And Isaiah says, well, for how long, O Lord? And God says, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants and the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remain, remains in the land, it will again be laid to waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. So there's a remnant that's reserved, a seed that will sprout one day, but there is definite discipline and consequence for the people. It was time. And God had said, the time is now. They have strayed too far. And God prepared the way using Isaiah. And, and, and Isaiah, the prophet, I'm sure, didn't really enjoy a lot of his ministry <laughs> telling everybody what was going to happen and then having it actually come true. But God gave him the message. He sustained his life through his time on mission. And he will do the same for us as we take the good news of the gospel. As long as he wants to use us, I believe he will bless us and he will keep us. So what say you? He's calling all of us to go. I believe that with all of my heart. It's are, are we willing to go wherever it is that he sends us? And it might not be anywhere except where you're already going. Let's keep our eyes open. Now, I mentioned that, that I wondered why he touched his lips. Well, I think he probably touched his lips because he, Isaiah was going to be the mouthpiece for, for God in, in this nation of Judah. And he gives some pretty incredible descriptions of what's going to happen one day in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53. Descriptions of the coming Messiah. You can look those up. Isaiah 52 and 53 later. So let's all draw near to God. Let's look for Him each day in our lives, in creation, in what He's doing in our lives, in His Word, through prayer. And let's humble ourselves before Him. Let's, let's really seek to recognize what a holy God is like and how we uh, compare to Him. And then in confession and repentance, not comparing ourselves to others, but to a holy God. Let's come before Him in that way and let's receive His forgiveness. Now, don't let Satan continue to hold a burden of guilt over your head. When we truly repent and God forgives us, it's done. It's gone. It's gone. The guilt should be gone. We are truly free. So I say, let's go. I say, let's go. Won't you say yes? Won't you say yes to the Savior? And won't you say yes to the mission and God's call on your life to do whatever He asks? Now, all along this series, we've been asking, you know, we're, we're finding Jesus in the Old Testament, right? Well, where is Jesus today? Where do we see him today? And I just really briefly, because I want to spend 10 or 15 minutes ending our service here this morning. John chapter 12, verses 37 through 46. I'm not going to read them all. I'm only going to read one verse, but write this down in your notes. John 12, 37 through 46. Jesus is doing miraculous signs. Nobody's believing him. The Pharisees are going after him. And then it says this. He quotes Isaiah for this reason they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. And then he says this. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about it. So what I want to say right there is Jesus 
Isaiah was in the temple, in his vision, in the presence of Jesus. Says the Lord Almighty. He was even at work then. In Isaiah's time. We know he was always at work. But then that verse goes on, that passage. Yet at the same time, while these people aren't hearing anything, yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. Many even... See, you're going to find people in your everyday life that don't want to hear it. They're, they're, they're fine with their sin. They don't need fixing. They don't need saving. There were people like that in Jesus' time. Jesus was here speaking to them, and there were people like that. But some of them believed. And you and I will never know which ones those are. So let's become fishers of men and women. And let's go and proclaim the good news to those who God puts before us and trust Him for the response that they will have in that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You. Thank you for this morning and for your word. It's so humbling to think of how perfect you are. And Lord, my prayer is that this morning among the people that are here today and those that are listening online, that we would, that we would sense your presence, that your, that your Holy Spirit would be real to us here this morning. And Lord, as we draw near to you, we know that you will draw near to us. Lord, as we confess our sins and as we seek forgiveness from others, we know that that you forgive us. Your word says that. We thank you for that. Lord, humble us. Humble me. Help me to continue to learn and to to, to put myself in that place where I will listen and obey. May that be true for all of us. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Now,